Meet the Smoochers. Scott and Amanda met in a college drama class. Theirs was a fairy tale story right from the beginning. After a blissful two-year courtship, they were married right here at Grace Fellowship. In the nine years since then, they've learned a lot about each other and marriage. Just like the rest of us, they're still learning. As we'll see in the next few weeks, this couple is anything but two-dimensional. Stay tuned each week to find out what happens after the honeymoon. I can hardly wait to see all of these videos that our creative team uh, is creating. I know they're going to be amazing. I read uh, a little while ago about an experiment that was conducted in Richburg, South Carolina. It was actually done by the Institute for Business and Home Safety. You see, in Richburg, they have a $40 million laboratory where they conduct all these different kinds of experiments to try to, to come to some conclusions about how homes can be safer and be built better and so on. And so, uh, these researchers built two 1,300-square-foot homes there in the laboratory, and uh, then they were going to subject both of these homes to hurricane-force winds. Now, the first 1,300-square-foot home was built according to conventional standards and practices of building. It, it met all of the appropriate building codes. The second house, likewise, was built the same way, met all the codes, all the standard practices and materials, but one thing was different, and this made it cost a bit more. It took a little more effort. But every part of the house was strapped as an additional reinforcement was actually strapped to the foundation of the house. And then the researchers were ready to begin their experiment in earnest. They turned these giant fans on and created winds of 110 miles an hour. Now, that's equivalent to a Category 3 hurricane. And with the first two experiments, uh, it was interesting. Both of the houses stood strong. They had some cosmetic damages, but both of the houses seemed to be pretty sturdy. But then the researchers kicked it up a notch, and they left those giant fans on for more than 10 minutes and just sat back and watched. And pretty soon, the first house began to shake and quiver, and finally, it just totally collapsed. But interestingly enough, although the winds continued, the second house that had the reinforcement to the foundation, it occurred some uh, incurred some cosmetic damage on the house, but the house stood strong and never, ever collapsed. It was interesting. The engineer, head engineer of this whole project, his name is Tim Reingold, he was commenting on some of the conclusions that he and the other researchers had made, and he did it in language that most of us could never understand. It was very technical. But then he kind of put the cookies on the low shelf when he came up with this conclusion. I love the way engineer Reingold put it. 
He said, here's the bottom line. The question you have to ask yourself is, which house would you rather be living in? And wow, that's a good question. Which house would you rather be living in? And I think we'd all answer the same when the storm comes. We want to be living in a house where there's reinforcement, where there's a huge attachment to the foundation. We begin a series today called Built to Last. It's a series about love and marriage and relationships and all of the dynamics that go into making a great relationship and a, a wonderful marriage. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at that. Now, right off the bat, I realize today that I'm talking to a lot of different groups of people. We have people here right now who are single and who want to stay that way. God bless you. We have people here who are happily married in a healthy marriage and want to stay that way. God bless you. And we also have people here who have been through one or more breakups, one or more divorces. And so for some of you, that's been incredibly difficult. It's been a tough journey, and perhaps you're even still feeling a lot of pain from that. Some people I'm talking to today are married, but your marriage has become more like a business partnership. Oh, you kind of like each other. You get along. You do the family business or whatever. But quite frankly, romance and passion has grown pretty cold, and it's more like a business relationship. Some people are here and are single and desire to get married. Some people here are married and desire to be single. There's all kinds of people that I'm talking to today, but here's what I'll tell you about this series. No matter where you are on the relational journey, I'm convinced that there's something here for you, something very relevant. Now, I know many single people will hear that and say, but pastor, I don't get it. Look, I'm single and I don't see how this series on marriage is going to apply to me. Well, here's what's interesting. Statistically, it is very likely, no matter what you may be saying right now about it, statistically, it's very likely that you will be married one day. Okay? And here's the thing, it's helpful to know these principles we're going to be learning together before you get into a deeply meaningful relationship. Because here's the problem, once you're already in that meaningful relationship, you're too emotionally hooked in to learn some of these things. It becomes a lot more difficult really to change and to learn in many cases. And so now is the time, particularly if you're single, to learn many of the things that we're going to be talking about. So for the next weeks, particularly starting next weekend, we're going to be looking each week at a different couple in Scripture and learning from their example, sometimes from their good example, but quite frankly, often from their bad example, how not to do marriage, okay? It's going to be an amazing journey. I'm very excited about it. But today, I want us to begin and just kind of kick off this series a little differently by looking at one of the stories that Jesus told. You can find this in your Bible 
in Matthew chapter 7. It's a story about two builders and two houses. So let's look at it together. I'm going to read it here off the screen. Jesus taught this at the end of what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Two different builders, two different houses, two radically, radically different outcomes. Jesus is using a house here as a metaphor for life. And so in our context, I want to make three declarations that we could take away from this little story. It's really two stories that Jesus puts side by side at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The first declaration is this, every couple builds a house. Think about it. From the moment you meet your spouse, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're intentional about it or not, you're building a house. You're building a life together. Now, here's what that life that we build together, here's what it's made of. It's made up of the small decisions. In fact, I'd put it this way. It's made up of the cumulative effect of the small decisions that we make day after day. It's made up of the attitudes that we bring to our home. It's made up of the tone we use in our voice, the words we say, the mindset and the worldview that we bring to things, the time that we spend together. It's made up of all these decisions. Our house consists of the cumulative effect of all that. So here's the deal. A wise builder that Jesus talked about, understands the long-term benefit of the small decisions. And so the wise builder wants to do it right the first time. You know, you measure twice, right, and cut once, not the other way around. We want to do this thing right. We don't want to skimp. We don't want to cut corners. We want it to be quality because we're going to be living in this house. We want it to be built to last. But the foolish builder has a very different attitude. He says, ah, I'm not so sure that's true. I mean, I can cut some corners here. I can neglect this part of my relationship, and I don't think it's ever going to bite me. In fact, I, I, it, foolish builders often do this, by the way. They'll find another builder out there whose house looks worse than theirs, whose marriage looks more in shambles than theirs does, and they'll do this comparison game. And Well, look, mine looks better than that. Sometimes as an excuse not to make wiser decisions day by day. And so the foolish builder has the attitude, my house isn't so bad after all, but we're all building a house. Now let me change, just for the sake of illustration, the metaphor right here just a little bit from a house to a car. 
Because sometimes houses, it's a little more difficult to see because it takes a little longer usually for that cumulative effect to kind of build up. So let's change the metaphor real quick here. We'll go right back to the house. Let's talk about a car. Uh, Do you realize that, and most of you drive, most of you have a vehicle of some kind. Do you realize there's a couple of major ways that you can total a car? That you can just wreck and ruin a car one way. It's probably the first one we think of. You can go out and hit a tree at a pretty high speed. And sure enough, the insurance adjuster or the collision expert looks at the vehicle, assesses the situation, all the airbags have gone off. I mean, the body, the very frame of the car has been twisted and bent. There's dents everywhere. They look at it and go, sure enough, it's total. It's going to cost more to fix it than it's worth. That is a totaled vehicle. That's one way to do it. But you know, there's another more subtle way to totally wreck and ruin and total a car. (laughs) Here it is. You just do it with neglect. You could buy a brand new vehicle, and some of them now take, you can go for 10,000 miles without changing the oil, but you just ignore even the 10,000 mark. And you don't change the oil. You don't do any maintenance. You don't do anything to this car. You don't change the oil for 20, 30, 40,000 if it'll go that long. And pretty, you know, at first seem, things seem to be okay, but one day the engine just locks up and the car stops. And it looks like it happened in a moment, but what you just experienced as a car owner is the cumulative effect of daily neglect. Do you get the metaphor? The cumulative effect of daily neglect. And brothers and sisters, our relationships are a lot like that. You plan to do something. You see that there needs to be some maintenance, some repair, some improvement. But you let it go and let it go. You meant to do it. It just never happens. And so one day, the relationship just kind of blows up. And it's, it's ruined, and it's wrecked, and it's, it, it, it's over because of our daily decisions or neglect. So the first thing we can say from this parable, this story that Jesus taught, is that every couple builds a house. But let's make a, a second and very important declaration. This is real important for all of us to understand No matter where you are on the whole relational journey, every house will face a storm. And quite frankly, we're being very naive, even silly, to believe that ours will be exempt. I'm struck by the words Jesus used, if your Bible's still open there to Matthew 7, in verse 25 and 27, in the Greek text of the New Testament, the words are exactly the same as he describes... What happened to each of the houses? They're exactly the same. Here's what it says. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house. Now, here's where we get in trouble if we think it won't happen to us. I know many married couples And they just sort of blithely begin their life together. And they know some of their friends who've had a storm. They they got some co-workers who went through it. They know that somebody in their family has gone through it. But they just think it'll never really happen to us. And I think 
This even gets encouraged in some Christian circles with some pretty twisted theology. And they get a hold of that theology that says, look, if you follow Jesus and just confess him, he'll keep you from all the bad stuff that could happen. Oh, real? Okay. So, yeah, we've got nothing to be concerned about. Now, listen, I don't want to make you scared. I don't want to shock you, nor do I want to make you paranoid. But I want to tell you, if you are a Christian couple, truly a Christ-following couple, you are even more susceptible to attack. Let me tell you why I say that. Because marriage is God's idea. God ordained marriage. And since God ordained marriage, guess what? Satan is going to attack it. You can just count on that. Not to make you paranoid. It's just to be realistic. And so don't be surprised when the rains come down and the streams rise and the winds begin to beat against your house. Now, quite frankly, at all of our different locations, at all of our campuses, that's where some of you are today. It's precisely where you are. Wow, you're in the storm. It is category three. And you can just feel it, can't you? you? You can feel it. You can feel the bitterness rising in you. You can just feel the winds of adversity beating against your house. You can feel your heart getting harder. Why? Because your spouse hasn't met your needs. Because of the harsh tone day after day in the home. Because of being dishonored and disrespected one too many times in your own home. You can just feel your heart getting hard. That's where many people are today. And the silly thing is, and you know it's true, you just keep fighting about the same stuff. You just, just keep on having the same fight over and over again. Just different days. You keep fighting about money. You keep fighting about the kids. You keep fighting about that thing that happened a couple of years ago. You keep fighting about the plan for the future. And on and on it goes. And quite frankly, some of you are at a point in your house building, in your relationship where you're going, look, I, I'm frustrated. I'm bored. I've had it up to here. And quite frankly, some of you have had the thought that maybe, just maybe the best thing for you to do is just sell this house for whatever it's worth and Hope that one day you can build another house sometime with somebody else. But there's a third conclusion I think that we can find in our story here. And that is that the storm reveals what the house is made of. Every couple builds a house. Every house faces a storm. But you never know till the storm shows. You may have an idea of how healthy you think it is or not. But you never really know for sure until it's been tested, right? Now, you don't want to pray for a test. You don't want to pray for a Category 3 hurricane. But you don't really know until those 110-mile-an-hour winds begin to hit your home. You don't really know how strong it is. So both builders build a house. Both houses face a storm. Up to this point, there's a lot of commonality, but here's where the story really goes in different directions because Jesus said, Jesus said, 
Here's where it gets all different. One builder, the foolish one, built on sand. The wise builder built on a foundation of stone. Now, can I tell you something about foundations? And that's, that's really just what we're talking about today. I, I call this message uh, Choosing a Foundation. It's, it's going to be the simplest message of all of them in the series, okay? The others are going to be a lot more uh, probably practical, and, and we'll probably laugh a lot more and everything. But, but just the nature of talking about a foundation, it's not real sexy, right? Right? A foundation? It didn't do anything for you. I mean, come on. How do you get excited about a foundation? I mean, how many of you have had friends? How many of you have had some family members or neighbors who built a beautiful brand new house and you went over with a housewarming gift? You just wanted to say hi and congratulate them on their new home and kind of see it yourself. And you may walk in and go, ooh, nice colors. Yeah. You may say, ooh, I love your decorative flair. You may walk into their brand new beautiful home and go, whoo, the architectural uniqueness of this house is stunning, baby. But I'll tell you what you'll never hear. Your friend, somebody builds a brand new beautiful home, you'll never hear anybody walk into that home and go, whoa, nice foundation, man. Nice foundation. Never hear that. You know why? The foundation is overlooked and greatly underappreciated. But the foundation is the most critical piece of all. But think of how foolish, indeed stupid, it would be to build a big, gorgeous, brand new house on a faulty foundation. Jesus said somebody who lives like, like, life like that and gives all this attention to color and, and architectural uniqueness and, and, and all these little cosmetic things, and doesn't choose the right foundation. Jesus said they're a fool. Now, I find it interesting. He didn't say they're evil. He didn't say this person is wicked. I find the choice of word very interesting. He, he didn't say they're a malicious person. He just said a person who does that is just, it's all you can say. They're just a fool. They're a foolish builder building a beautiful house on a bad foundation. So, as we kick off this series today, obviously the key question I want to ask you is, what foundation are you building your house on? And I just decided that we could probably choose a dozen different ones to mention, but I've just decided I'm only going to mention one. Again, I want to keep it real simple and keep within our time. Here we go. As I've been a pastor now for a number of decades and have taught literally, no exaggeration, to hundreds of couples about their relationship in one way or another, I'm convinced that in our particular culture, many, many people get into a relationship and begin to build on the foundation of feelings. Feelings are the foundation. I mean, in fact, that's what draws most people, I'm convinced, into a relationship in the first place. They like how the other person makes them feel, particularly about themselves. Several years ago, our family had the enormous privilege of going on a sabbatical. It's, uh, it's something we were able to do because we received a grant to do that from a corporation 
that just blesses pastors, and you have to do all these things to qualify. We were blessed enough to, to get a grant based on my wife making a great written proposal for that, and Debbie did a great job. We were able to get this and go away for a number of weeks on a sabbatical. And one of the places we visited, we visited Pisa in Italy to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. This 179-foot leaning tower. You know the experts say it's going to fall, right? Scientists have been studying this tower for years and years, and it moves every year. Not much. The experts who measure this say it moves, on average, about 120th of an inch per year. But it's already, it's already, can you believe this? 17 feet off plumb. It's leaning that much already. And all kinds of things have been done to try and reinforce it and secure it and everything. But, but the experts say it, it, it's going to fall. Now, do you know what the word Pisa means? It literally means marshy land. <laughs> I, I'm no expert, but shouldn't that have been a red flag? <laughs> hey, we want to build this giant, magnificent tower in this area. What's this area called? Pisa, marshy land. Perfect. That's where we want to build. Right there. No, originally it wasn't called the Leaning Tower. It was just called the Tower of Pisa. But it started leaning because it was built on a faulty foundation. I think that's what happens when we build on feelings. It looks fine for a while. But it's, it's marshy land, and before long, our feelings start to change. Now, don't get me wrong. I know feelings are good and fine. And in this series, we're going to talk a lot about feelings, actually. We're going to talk about how we can build one another up and all these awesome things we can do with, for the other person. But don't, don't let feelings be your foundation. But see, we've been discipled by our culture to believe that feelings are the most important thing of all. By the movies we watch, by the music we listen to, that it's all about feelings. And so my, when my feelings for my spouse start to fade, or when their feelings for me start to fade, we hit the panic button. Got to get out of here. That isn't the way it's supposed to be. The Bible talks about love very differently. The Bible describes a marriage built not on feelings, but on commitment. One of my favorite books on marriage ever, it's been out for a number of years now, is by Gary Thomas, and it's called Sacred Marriage. And in that book, Gary Thomas talks about this very issue, and he says that when we're building on the foundation of feelings, we tend to ask this question, Am I married to the right person? Or did I marry the right person? He gives the illustration about a 32-year-old man who went through a divorce that this man had initiated from his wife. And now this man works in a job where he's almost exclusively around elderly people. And as Thomas writes about the story, he says this 32-year-old divorced man observes these long-standing marriages of these elderly folks, and here's what he says, and I now quote, I was beginning to suspect that it made no difference whether they had married the right person. Finally, you're just with who you're with. You signed on with her. You put in a half century with her. 
You've grown to know her as well as you know yourself or even better. And she's become the right person or, or the only person. Might be more to the point, he writes. I wish someone had told me that earlier. I'd have hung in there. I swear I would. So a relationship built on feelings as the foundation Ask, am I married to the right person? A relationship built on commitment says, you are the only person. Big difference, two totally different foundations. Now, I'm using the word commitment. A better Bible word for the right foundation might be covenant. Covenant, that's the Bible word. When we get married, we enter into a covenant. Now, it's kind of hard, and honestly, in our culture to explain exactly what that means. It is. I, I, I sometimes feel the best way to explain it or describe it is to tell what it's not. So let me tell you what a covenant is not. A covenant relationship, as God designed it, is not a consumer relationship. Now, many of us have consumer relationships. We typically have them with restaurants and stores and things like that, right? And here's the way a consumer relationship works. You do what you're supposed to do, and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. You be who you're supposed to be, and I'll be that back to you. You do what you're supposed to do, and as long as you come through and do what you're supposed to do, then I'll keep on acting and doing what I ought to do. But if you stop being that for me, I'm out of here. I'm going to go find a place that will do for me what you haven't done. That's, in essence, a consumer relationship. And that's how we tend to approach relationships often in our culture. We enter it going, look, as long as you're who you're supposed to be and as long as you do what you're supposed to do, I'm in. But to the degree you do it, I'll do it. But if you stop being and if you stop doing, ah, game off. A covenant relationship is virtually the opposite of that. A covenant relationship says, look, I'm going to be who God has called me to be regardless of whether you become who God's called you to be. A covenant relationship says, look, I'm going to love you the way God's called me to love you whether you love me the way God's called you to love me or not. I'm going to do what God has called me to do whether you do what God's called you to do or not. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do the right thing. That's what a covenant relationship is. And by the way, folks, that's the relationship God has initiated with us. I hope you understand that's the kind of grace relationship, the covenant that God's called us into when he called us to be his children, to be saved, to be his followers, to be in relationship with him. It's a relationship that's not dependent upon our performance, on our being good, or on our doing all the right things every day, but he is faithful anyway. And so that's the foundation that we want to build marriage on, not on feelings, but on covenant. And I just want to tell you that ultimately, that all, the game changer for this is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, some of you who may have come in 
learning that we were going to talk about marriage, you may go, I knew it, I knew it, I knew he was going to go there. I knew he was going to get all spiritual on me and say it's, it's all got to come down to a relationship with Jesus. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's what I believe. And I just want to tell you that what I've discovered through so many years is that often the disappointment and the disillusionment in so many marriages, it really does boil down to a spiritual issue. The psalmist said in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And so in this series, oh, I hope you make it a priority. It's going to be amazing. We're going to teach you all kind of helpful hints for communicating more clearly and understanding one another and having wonderful conversations. We're going to talk to you about rekindling your romance if your marriage has become more like a business partnership and gone rather cold on you. We're going to talk to you about deepening your intimacy if the sexual intimacy side of your marriage is, is really not what it ought to be. Oh, there's going to be so many great things. But can, can I just be real with you? Can I just put it straight to you today in, the, in this beginning message? If you don't have the right foundation, when the Category 3 110-mile-an-hour winds begin to beat against your house, you can be awesome at communication. You can be Lance Romance. You can have an amazing sexual experience, but it's not going to be enough in the midst of a storm like that. You've got to have the right foundation. Now, the interesting thing to me is that Jesus said the only difference between these two builders is not what they heard and understood but what they actually did. did. Did you catch that part of the story? It's, to me, that's one of the most interesting details of the story. He, he didn't put it like this. Look, the wise builder is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice, but the foolish builder, listen, is the one who did not hear my words, sadly, and so therefore he couldn't put them into practice. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, the wise builder heard my words, put them, but the foolish builder also heard he was there in church. He heard the messages. Problem is he just didn't do anything about it. And, and you know, I'm aware in starting a series like that, that's the challenge for us. Because if you've been in church a while, you know, hey, I've been there, done that. I've heard these messages before. I've heard about communication. I've heard about principles for intimacy. I've heard it all before. But it's not about hearing and knowing it's about living and doing. That's what Jesus said makes all the difference. So as we move toward our close today, I just want to give you one homework assignment to put into practice, all right? Are you ready? I can see you're really excited about this. Some of you look absolutely scared, like deer in headlights. I mean, you're waiting for this homework assignment. Just one thing I'm going to ask you to do that I believe will make a significant difference but I'm going to ask you to mentally agree to do this before I even give it to you. Are you ready for that? Can you mentally agree we're going to do this? Some of you aren't agreeing. You're not agreeing. I can see it in your body language. No, you, you want to hear more. Well, let me tell you a little more. Let me tell you a little more about this. This thing I'm about to ask you to do 
a lot of reliable studies have been done on this and couples who do this one thing that I'm asking you to mentally agree to do before I even tell you what it is, studies have been done, reliable studies that show that couples, Christian couples who do this thing together, the divorce rate is about 1 in 10,000. And if that's even close to true, wouldn't this be something you would want to do? Can I also tell you that studies and surveys have shown that only 8% of Christian couples actually do this together. I'm not selling you anything here. You don't have to go anywhere to do this. You don't have to buy anything. Here's the one thing I'm going to ask you to put into practice. Pray together out loud daily for the next two weeks. Pray out loud daily together for the next two weeks. Now, I know that some of you would love to do this, but uh, your spouse won't agree to it. I understand that. I would urge you, if that's the case, I would urge you just to spend time daily, just a brief time, praying for your own marriage relationship. I think that'd be a great idea. And some of you, your spouse isn't, your husband, your wife is not even here. But I'm asking you that if they are here with you to make this commitment to pray out loud together daily. Now, some of you guys are going, okay, I got this, I got this. I'll do, I'll do grace before the meal. Oh, God, for what we are about to receive, make us truly grateful. I got this. No, that's not it. That doesn't work. That doesn't count, all right? I hope you do that. I hope you keep doing that. hope you give thanks, but that's not it. I want you to get with your spouse. Hold hands if you'd like to. You may do this while you're driving in the car. You may do this while you're sitting in your living room or taking a walk or just before you drop off to sleep at night. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be profound. Make it really short, in fact. But just keep it honest. In fact, for your first prayer... You could just say this, God, I'm praying out loud, amen. Just let that be, just let that be your first prayer if this is incredibly awkward for you. God, I'm praying out loud, amen, hallelujah. Okay, let that be your first prayer. But get started, do something. Jesus says the wise builder is the one who does, who puts it in to practice. Now, I already seeing elbows fly, and that worries me. I'm already seeing couples elbowing each other going, I told you we were supposed to be doing this. I wanted to do this. Don't do that. You're already ruining it. Ruining it. And when you go home and you begin to pray together, don't preach to your spouse in the prayer. <laughs> oh, God, I thank you that we're finally praying together. God, I've wanted to do this for years, and I've asked to do this, so I praise you, Lord, that you've finally opened my spouse's eyes to the truth. Don't do that. You're missing it. Just pray out loud daily for the next two weeks. So here's the little appendix I want to add as we close. What are you building your relationship on? What's the foundation? Boy, I tell you, if you're honestly thinking you're going to build it on feelings, can I tell you what's going to happen? You're going to be in a merry-go-round of relationships. 
Because that person will make you feel great for a while, but then the feeling will go, and your feeling for them may go. And then you go over here and say, oh, if I could just have a relationship with that person. Oh, and you feel good about it for a while, but then that feeling goes. And then it's just this merry-go-round. You know what's happening? Your soul is crying out for its creator. Can I tell you a problem? You're expecting a person to give you something that God alone can give you. The Bible says there's only one hope that does not disappoint. His name is Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we kick off this series, you would help couples and all of our different congregations to build on the right foundation. Even if they've gotten out to kind of a marshy, faulty start, a little bit shaky, I pray that even now that foundation would be made strong and reinforced they would build it solidly on you and a commitment to you. And as couples begin to practice praying out loud daily, I ask that you'd bless that. As awkward as it may feel at first, help them to have fun with it, to kind of celebrate it, to rejoice with it, and to encourage each other to keep on remembering to do that daily. This is our prayer, O oh God, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.